Hi, this is Dave Pryor from Leading Agile Sound Notes. This podcast is an interview with Jeff Howie where we pick up a student question from a guy working at a company where management is handing work down, they're estimating work, the teams are taking the work and planning all their sprints and finding they're unable to deliver in every sprint. So they have a lot of carryover work. There's a lot of difficulty in trying to report up and let management know when things are going to be ready for release. So we're going to talk a lot of, about the different aspects of this in the podcast, and I hope you'll enjoy it. Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile's Sound Notes. Jeff Howie's back. Jeff, say hi to everybody. Hello, everybody. Great to be here. Jeff and I do a lot of the training work at Leading Agile. Um, I do most of the certification stuff. Jeff focuses on a lot of the other training. Anything in particular you're working on right now that's super exciting in the world of Agile training? (laughs) What's super exciting for me right now is, you know, being located in say the Western part of the U S and I have training that I need to do for like central Europe and Singapore and North America for a particular group. And what's even more fun is some of those teams are spread across those three different locations. So that's what we're working through right now. That's really super interesting. So you're not really sleeping a lot Uh, here and there. (laughs) All right, cool. Um, Well, I appreciate you making time for this today. We're going to take on a question from a student. Um, I've spoken to this. This was a parking lot question in one of our classes. I've spoken to this person since the class, so I have a little bit more detail. But the first thing I'm going to do is present what what I got, and then Jeff and I are going to unpack it a little bit and talk through some of this stuff. So here's the question as it was posed. I'd like to know how long milestones should typically be in Scrum and how many sprints it should take. it should be broken down into. We have a goal of what we want to achieve in a rough timeline, but we don't log too many feature tickets ahead of time, thinking the task might become stale or pollute the board with everlasting list of things to do. And most of the time, we were just closing the tickets. As a result, I feel we often become short-sighted and optimized for the current sprint, but not for the milestone. What is, what is a typical window of milestone such that it is big enough to track a goal that we can communicate with management, but small enough that it doesn't add to the list of never-ending tasks. And I should clarify that when this person says milestone, they're basically talking about the equivalent of what we would call a release. If that All right. Helps. So how long should a release be? How many sprints should be in the release? How many things can we fit into the sprint and the release? That's What's the answer? Really, really interesting question. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with my standard pat. It depends. Um, you know, it depends. Yes. He's making um, jazz hands when he says that. That's right. It depends. It depends. Yes. Um, so, so let me start with maybe some. Do you want some more backstory? F- yeah. You know what? Why not? Let's do that. <laughs> okay. So the first thing that uh, in talking through this, the first thing that we uncovered was that the team was having trouble um, finishing work in the sprint. Okay. So they're carrying work from one sprint to the next. Um, it became clear to me, well, in terms of estimating, the estimation is done by someone not on the team, the work, and it's done in hours, and the work is then handed to the team, and they're told what they should be doing in a sprint, and this person that I was talking to and, and some other folks will break all the work down and then get some team members and say, these are all the things you're going to do in the sprint, come back to us with questions. So they explain all the tasks to the people that are going to do them and tell them how much time they have. 
and the people never come back with questions, rarely finish their work as per the schedule, and so they're dragging stuff from one sprint to the next and management's stressing out because it's a startup and they have to know what mark they're going to hit for the next release date they've set. Ooh, awesome. This actually reminds me of a story from my personal life. Um, and it happened last month. So. Oh, wow. All right. Yeah. Um, well, so I, I realized at some point uh, that I needed to do some repairs on my roof and it, it required taking off the shingles, putting down new underlayment, putting the shingles back on, things like that. And so as I was doing my research, um, I found a company who they were able to, in the video that I watched, uh, show me everything that they do in six minutes. Um, now I realized it was going to take them more than six minutes to replace my roof. Um, shingles and all that kind of stuff. When I called and I, I set up the you know consult, salesperson comes out. Um, they say, yeah, we'll have it done within a day. We'll come on, show up at eight o'clock. We'll be done and gone by four. <laughs> and um, that's what I told you. That's how long I said it, it takes to do a roof. That's right. We did have that conversation. Yeah, and then um, a, about a, a week later, uh, you know, the foreman comes out and he's got a team of three folks and he says, yeah, we're actually going to show up at seven and it'll probably take us until about five 30 or six. So again, you know, the person who made a commitment to me as the customer, then there's the people who were starting to get a little bit more granular and were accountable for the delivery. But then the day they showed up, can I, can I add one complication you, in here? Yeah. Yeah. The folks that are listening. So if you've ever, if you've never had your roof replaced, one of the things that happens all day long is that all you hear is hammering and banging. And if you have a cat, that's a problem for the cat. If you have 10 cats like Jeff does, that's not a good situation. <laughs> it's not a good. We prepared, it's only one day. We prepared for the day. Yes. So <laughs> about noon of the day, um, I started to look at that and realized they weren't even halfway done removing things. And I was like, this is not going to happen in the day uh, that even the foreman promised because the people who were doing the work ran into a complication. One of the people had to leave. Um, and in the end, it took three days. So what you're sold, what you're committed to the customer, you know, if an estimate is given by the people who haven't actually seen uh, my roof, in this case, the code that you're trying to write. Um, I, my first comment on that is the people who do the work will give you a far better estimate. And if you are trying to, as a company, especially as a startup, make and meet commitments to your customers, uh, really act actively involving the people who do the work, I think is a super critical first thing that I would recommend. Yeah, so if I just want to point out that for this particular company, if that foreman's going around and promises five different customers new roofs in a five-day period, by the end of that five-day period, I mean, if, if each one takes three days, that it's means they haven't even finished the second one by the end of the first week. Exactly. So that's going to cascade into a really dark place really fast. Yeah. So, so my initial advice, I think, and this is what you teach in your classes, I teach in mine, is that you want to get good, predictable, real estimates. Don't ask, you know, the genius who invented something. Don't ask the person who sold it. Ask the people who do it. Yeah. All right. Cool. So I want to I want to add a little bit more. So we started to talk about that. Um, you know, ask have the people that are going to do the work estimate the work. But when we were talking about how much work they were doing, I asked him how many hours of work he planned to do on a sprint. And this guy said he plans to, it's a two-week sprint, 
And, you know, some people would probably say 80 hours, but he was a little bit more realistic. And he said 70 hours in two weeks. And I almost did a spit take. Right. So <laughs> how do you feel about 70 hours? Are you productive for 70 hours in two weeks? Uh, you know, I have been, and those were, you know, basically when you're working like 68 hours a week, actual yeah. productivity is nowhere near your time on the clock. Right. Right. Yeah. So I want to point out one thing too. This is a startup and it is, I mean, for all the startups that I've worked at, it is 100% full steam ahead every single day, all the time. And the thing about that is it's not sustainable. And at some point people start to quit or they make massive mistakes and things like that. So you might be able to get that level of energy going for a while and management may expect it. What would you say to a team, Jeff, if management was saying you're going to do 70 hours per person every two weeks? So a couple of things come to mind is that the people probably would do that. They're probably, especially at a startup, uh, the type of personality who would contribute that kind of effort. The thing that that doesn't really account for is the fact that while you're doing all of this work, you know, if, if, if you're working on one thing, and you suddenly run into a question or you have a dependency or you've got a problem you can't solve and you move on to another, you know, maybe you finish the second, but you start a third while the first one's still waiting. Eventually you have like 10 things that are, you know, start, done. but not done because yeah. they're, they're waiting. And that, that's not a time issue, right? That's more of a flow issue. So like, how do, how do we actually focus on flowing the work versus, starting the work is one of the things I, I start to think about. I want to add something. I'm taking a class with Jim Benson right now. And one of the things that I picked up on last night was that it's more than just the throughput, right? So if you think about, if I'm working on stuff and I have a bunch of unfinished things, <clears throat> each one of those things carries like a cognitive burden too. So I become one of those like, oh, I got those five things I got to do and I got to do the new thing with the five things. And I keep thinking about the five things and it's occupying space in my brain. And that's going to pull me away from new stuff too. Um, yeah. So I'm dragging that around. So it's not just flow of the work being done, but flow of, um, I mean, our capacity, our, our ability to, to, to focus on new things. We got to think about how the information flowing through the system. If we're not getting those things built, we're not testing them which is putting the startup at risk. That, and I don't know how, how you operate, but a lot of times I'll go back to some of those unfinished things I let sit and wait, and I'll start them over again because I think of you it can't differently yeah. or can't even remember what I was doing. So yeah, there's a lot of waste there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now what about estimation? Do you have strong feelings about any particular types of estimation? Does it bother you that they're estimating work in hours? Uh, you know, I, personally believe anyone estimating as hours is just using a different scale of points in relative estimation anyway. And they're, they're oh, going wow. to be off plus or minus some percentage, just like you are with, you know, like points, for example. Yeah. Yeah. I say it's going to take me 20 hours. It's probably somewhere between 17 and 40. Right. Okay. I, I always like doing the backlog items in points and the tasks in hours, because I like to have them as two separate ways of yes. protecting myself from overcommitting. I, if if I were coaching the team, that would absolutely be the direction. Separate your tasks, keep those in hours if you must, uh, and then do points and more relative estimates for things like stories, e even bigger, you know, t-shirt size or epic points or whatever, if you get up into epics. But I know that's totally different conversation too. So 
What would you say to the manager? I, I mean, I think we, we, we agree on the advice that we give to the teams. What advice would you give to people running a startup who have this kind of a situation? Like your teams aren't predictable. You keep estimating the work and pushing it down. They're not delivering. You can't figure out what's going to happen with your business. What does the management need to do? Differently. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good. Uh, I'll give you my personal take on it, which may or may not actually feel well, feel good to some of the. Uh, yeah. Adults, so let me let me let me put a little disclaimer in here as well. When we when Jeff and I talk about things like this, there's, there's the things we say you should say, which I don't know if we would actually say in those situations because you might never get to work for that client again. Um, yeah, you, you may have to find a more diplomatic way to phrase what we're saying here. This is true. Um, I think my my first go round with the the management team would be to to say, all right, try it for three sprints. Know that you're going to run into risk. You know, keep yeah. doing what you're doing. Let's run that experiment in a controlled environment the way you're doing it for three sprints. Then let's stop and figure out how to get the team to do that. Run that for three sprints and do a comparison. Because I guarantee what, you know, just going to the managers and saying, you know, you shouldn't do that. Here's how Scrum works. Here's what the team should do. It doesn't always work. You've got to have some data. So yeah. run the experiments, do the comparison, and then start guaranteed the team's going to have better estimates and management's not going to get everything they hoped for, right? Yeah. Uh, or maybe they do. Maybe they're surprised. I mean, I've seen that too. But I, I'd start with that. Um the other would be that I think there is a perspective that you know the management team and the, the core team responsible for the startup do need to make predictions and they need to be predictable for the sake of not just their customers, but for their investors and their own careers. So helping them bridge that gap, I think, is the next piece that you really need to focus on. Okay. So I had two things, and they're more mindset things. Um one is that it, if, I, if I'm speaking to management, like one of the things I'd want to suggest is that the person who's acting in the role of Scrum Master, if the behavior you exhibit towards this person and the way you think of them is more the way you would think, be thinking about a project manager, um, I would encourage you to maybe take a different look at the, the role of someone like a Scrum Master because their job is actually to get the team predictable. And... Like if they can't get the team predictable, all the other stuff that you want is not going to happen. So rather than trying to tell your your project slash scrum master how to optimize the team, um, help that person understand that the way that they're going to be measured is whether or not this team can become predictable. And then think about the things that you as a manager could do to help the team become predictable. That's one thing. The second thing would be, especially if I'm in management, I would want to try to find a way to help the team members understand that my goal and my expectation is for each one of them to be a good steward of the company. And part of that means don't just say you work 70 hours because you think you're supposed to work 70 hours. Don't just take on this five-hour task because I told you it was a five-hour task. Um, there's two startup people that I've talked to, heads of startups in the last, we've both talked to them in the past couple of weeks, and both of them said they expect pushback they need pushback, and they're not getting it from their teams. So if you're in a culture where they, the team members are not saying, we can't do that, it's too much, you need to find out what's going on there and what you can do to create a culture where they realize 
the most responsible thing they can do is say no, because that's the best way they can protect you and the company from whatever unrealistic expectations or hopes we had. I, I love the mindset ideas there, because if you think about, it's not just a startup, but I think any team really wants to be successful. They want to do good work in a situation where it feels like the work is being directed to them and they're being told what to do. It's very different than when you're being given a set of problems to solve and asked to help solve those problems with all of your skill and intelligence. And so that accountability, the more you can involve the team in owning the outcome, the better you are. Yeah. Well, that's a very helpful and positive way to end this, this short, hopefully informative podcast. Any final words of advice for these people? Keep doing what you're doing with the uh, like getting better piece of this. Um, okay. I think the the leadership team. I think that's a a piece of like experimentation that I would I would just start to run both with the culture as well as some of the the practices. Uh, and then the other is I think there's opportunity in some of these teams to run experiments. So, so run experiments. I know know that sometimes creates risk, especially in kind of hectic and fast paced environments, but that's actually how you learn as an organization to do what's better for the next iteration. Yeah. I really wish that when I was working in startups that somebody had said, you know, it's not just building the thing. Part of your job here is to figure out how to make the company work. Um, I never approached it with that mindset. It was always just like this death march to grind things out and i wish i'd had a different way of looking at things back then would have been more fun or maybe more healthy than maybe it was more healthy yeah. yeah um cool well this was great so if people want to get in touch with you with follow-up questions jeff what's the best way to do that best way is check me out on linkedin um, okay you'll find me out there all right and I'm, I'm gonna put links to all your stuff down at the bottom your roof's finished right Roof's finished, yes. All right, good, good, cool. All right, well, if you've got a question you'd like us to answer, you can send it to dave.prior at leadingagile.com. I'll put my email address in the show notes. Um, these questions came from our CSM and CSPO classes, but we're, we're welcome. We're welcoming questions from the outside. So if you need something, some kind of hairy situation you need help with, uh, send it my way, and Jeff and I will pick it up in a future podcast. And thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.